I've often said one of my favorite things about space is there is no horizon. You just keep going. There's always something that needs to be done. There's always an innovation. There's always a problem to solve. And chances are that problem can help us right here on Earth. Solving that problem can more than likely help us right here. And I just love that aspect of what we do here. This is DIV Innovators, the show that celebrates the brilliant minds behind the technology and innovations that keeps our country safe. Here's your host, Dave Graff, co-founder of Radical. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Jeremy Grimmett, founder, CEO, Rogue Space Systems Corporation, a pioneering company providing cutting-edge and sustainable in-space servicing capabilities. Jeremy, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, thanks for having us, Dave. Yeah, it's great to have you. So to kick things off, love veterans, folks that serve our great nation, you know, trying to make a difference. Notice you served in the Army. Can you tell me a little bit about you know, what that was like and then how that transitioned in some you know, life lessons and putting you on the path to where you are today as CEO? Wow. That's, a, that's, <laughs> almost, that's actually kind of a loaded question. I loved everything about the Army. I really did. It was just the people that I didn't like too much. But I mean, I was serving back in the 90s. It was different. You know, they could still yell and scream and curse at you, which I was okay with. But back then, it was a completely different environment. And what I quickly learned is I didn't fit in. I was extremely good at my job. Uh, I worked on Patriot, Thad, uh, Chaparral, Red Eye, Toe, Dragon, a lot of different missile systems, guidance systems. And I transitioned out of there into more IT work. And since then, I've built my career up uh, working for a couple of different government contractors, a couple of different, I was contracted for a couple of oil companies and construction companies for very large projects and eventually founded my own MSP, uh, managed service provider for IT solutions, sold that and started a space company. That's kind of like the story in a very, very quick nutshell, but I loved my time in the army, but I was not crying when I got out. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, not not meant to be a career for everyone, but uh, every little bit helps. And you know, look at you—you're going. You went to MSP and now space. Things that make a difference for our national security. Yeah, I mean, I learned tons when I was in the army. I mean, I, I really did everything from the electronics aspects all the way to some of the troubleshooting methodologies, and of course, leadership. I mean, that's what it's all about: what to do and you know, most importantly, what not to do. So those are the lessons that I really took away from there, primarily around leadership and yeah, some of the technical skills. Oh, that's awesome. So MSP, IT support and servicing for companies, and then, hey, let's start a space corporation. Where did that come from and what in the world? <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was actually going to school and uh, I wrote a research paper and got encouraged by a couple of my professors to kind of go deeper into that research. And I took a class, very fortunate to study under Frank White at school. And he was able to kind of guide me into a couple of different areas that I found really interesting with respect to space. I went to the MIT Space Conference on March 15th, 2019. I walked out, called my partner in the IT company, said, you got till December 31st, I'm selling the company and I'm going to space. That was it. 
same day. What about space? What, what were you looking at specifically? That- it was the community. It was really the community and the massive opportunity for disruption and doing things in a different way. I could clearly see after spending time with a really amazing set of people that, you know, everyone was there really to try and help one another and help build one another up. And it was a real treat to see that level of cooperation between people to advance the space industry and advance people within the space industry. It was just this really welcoming environment that I really wanted to be a part of. And of course, there was the monetary opportunities, of course, because, you know, we have good old Uncle Sam helping us figure out tech and and doing research. And it's such a wide open domain. I mean, there's just so many problems that have to be solved. I mean, how do you how do you turn your back away from that? I mean, it's there's always a problem to be solved. And anybody that likes solving problems it's a daily set of challenges and I go, it's fascinating. I love it. So as you set off, what was your initial vision for your space company? Space debris. That was space the initial debris. space debris. That was the initial thing. Be the garbage man of space. Then after some market research, we figured out, Hey, there's no one that's really paying to clean up a uh, space debris. The economics just don't make sense. Then we got into more satellite servicing. Then it became space debris again after some initiatives that got kicked off with Space Force. Then it's more, again, satellite servicing. Because if you can remove debris, you can also do servicing. So all the same tech, all the same methodologies, all the same everything. If you can do one of those things, you can do the other. So it translates very well. So that's what we've been sticking with is satellite servicing sustainability. And it's working out pretty well for us so far. That's awesome. So early days starting up, how was that? You know, how did you fund it? Where did you, how did you get off the ground? Brute force, man. Um, (laughs) Just brute force. I mean, you're talking about me, you're talking about like Mike Pika, our CTO and I, and then John, our COO. And I mean, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know hardly anything about space. We're buying books off of Amazon. We're reading. We're watching YouTube videos. I mean, it was just a slog, man. It was just a slog, just grinding through it. And thankfully, John and Pika and myself were all voracious learners and uh, readers and We were getting up to speed very quickly. And before you knew it, we brought in one guy that was an expert in the space domain. And we added another guy and started making connections. And before you knew it, we were pitching a mission to NASA. And then we were able to get a cradle with AFRL. And it just kind of started snowballing. It took time, but it just started snowballing. And it was just nonstop, just keep at it. Just keep hustling at it, keep pounding away at it, and eventually the wall gives way. And now we're flying in space. Took us a minute to get there, but we're there. Seems pretty fast. You look at, you know, some of these airplanes behind me, they take like 30 years to get off the ground or to do know. So (laughs) you started four years ago with reading Amazon books and now you have stuff in space. (laughs) You know, listen, if it wasn't for the team, if it wasn't for the brilliant, brilliant 
geniuses and just incredibly hardworking team that I've got, we would not be anywhere. We're not in space because of me. We're in space because of this team. Hands down, it's all about them, man. I don't know nothing. Uh, it's these guys that actually know what the hell they're doing. I, I just kind of make it up as I go along. It's the sign of a good leader, man. No, I don't know about that. You know, I tell this over and over and over again, but you know, my daddy taught me one thing. He's like, don't ever worry about being the smartest guy in the room. Just make sure the smartest guy in the room is working for you. He's like, you'll be all right. That's what I did work is Pika and John and everybody else is definitely way above this guy. I just throw out the crazy ideas and let those guys go to work or they just tell me. You got to love a humble leader. So that's awesome. <laughs> so I try, I try to be. <laughs> so in uh, the rogue space, you know, your company, you build robots. Now, how many robots are they in space now? What are their current missions and who are your customers? Can talk to me about that, what you're doing and where you are. Right. So right now we have Barry One. Uh, he's up there flying right now. He's an Orbot in a way. He's non-mobile, but he's primarily uh, doing a lot of signals, algorithms, compute, really testing out our compute platform that we're using in each of our spacecraft that we're developing. So right now we're on Barry. We're going to probably go into uh, CDR, which is Critical Design Review, in February, March. Uh, we just did the PDR in October the preliminary design review in October. And so we'll be in CDR, hopefully February, March timeframe. And our goal is to get it up in Q1 of 25. That's for Fred? No, that's for Laura. Laura is, she does not have robotics, but she has all the close proximity, rendezvous proximity operation systems on it. So it's got full six stop control. It's got thrusters. It's It's really, really really powerful little agile little spacecraft. It'll also have the clustered version of our scalable compute platform for parallel processing, GPU processing, all right there in situ. So that'll go up first quarter 25, and I think we're targeting 26 for Fred. I think is that's one, and that's the one that's got all the robotics and everything on it. But right now, Fred is still on the drawing board. We've not hit the mission uh, requirements review yet. That's our first step, but we haven't done that one quite yet. But it's in concept and we're starting to identify the pieces and parts for it. So that'll be coming soon. You have primary uh, customers that are putting you through this, you know, CDRs and these requirements. Is, is this through civil, commercial, government? Where are these? Who's, who's like? Well, it's all internal. Right now, everything's internal. Uh, now we have signed a couple of customers. One of them we, we've got on orbit right now. Evo, we're testing a propellantless uh, thruster system, electric system right now. And then we just signed a service contract, an on orbit service contract. That press release should be coming out in the next day or two. We've announced that we got the contract, but it's, we haven't identified who yet. But that'll be out here in the next couple of days. And they're having us help them with uh, location diagnostics and taking over mission operations uh, for them. So we're really excited about that because we're going to be able to 
take the capabilities that we have on Barry that's up there right now and actually try to use them for something different than what we had actually planned. So that's that's really exciting stuff. What's the most challenging thing about, you know, Barry, for example? Was it, you know, do you build everything in house? Let's just start with that. Do you build it in house or do you outsource a lot of the, you know, components? Yeah, there's a lot of it that's built right here in-house. And then there's another part of it, like the main bus that we partner with Endurosat to build out for us. And then we integrate everything all together. So there is a fair amount of outsourcing because Rogue really wants to focus on the innovation and the design. So we're not really all that geeked up on manufacturing, so to speak, although that that time will probably come, but that day is not today. So with that being said, we certainly are keeping our eyes on the future for that. But a lot of the integration work uh, we do right here and then with our partner Endurosat over in bulk area. So we have our cleaning room here and it's, um, you know, the team gets in there, puts all those little screws and pieces and parts together. And it's meticulous work, but they do it and they're very good at it. Is that the most unique thing about developing a satellite or a orbit, as you call it, to go to space? Is it, you know, what do you have to do special for space space here on Earth? Everything, especially thermal management. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges is thermal management, getting the heat off of the spacecraft and radiated into space. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Believe it or not, the thing that takes the longest in the program of getting a spacecraft up and up into space is actually the regulatory and licensing. That's actually, it's the legal part that is actually the most difficult obstacle to overcome. You know, the engineers all want to hear me, but you know, the technology, that's kind of the easy part. You know, it's the regulations and, and licensing and all the legal work that has to go into it. Yeah. I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge. Lead times you can kind of deal with in the schedule, pizzas, parts, hardware, software, those can all be challenges. But the thing that slows most of our work down is, are the legal requirements. Hmm. That's crazy. Not it is now. <laughs> we actually had to go to Germany to get our spectrum license. We didn't get it from the FCC. We, we had to go through Germany because we went through the FCC. It would have taken like six eight months. Germany got us Spectrum in three months, less than three months. It was crazy. Yeah, that is. Well, how about uh, hitching a ride to space? What does that look like? Do you just call up Elon and say, hey, my man, I need a ride? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it practically is like that, but Elon's not taking my calls. I, I think it's, <laughs> he, he still owes me 20 bucks for my card game, so he hasn't been returning my call. But, uh, you know, I usually, we work with our partner ExoLaunch. They're actually based out of Germany, coincidentally. They've been fabulous to work with. They've really been wonderful. And they uh, get us on those SpaceX rides. So we, we take a ride in their dispenser, which is mounted to the top of inside the payload fairing of a Falcon 9. And uh, that's how we normally get to space. We could directly contract with SpaceX, but... It's actually better for us to go through a partner like ExoLaunch because uh, they kind of guide you all the way through the process. All the boxes are checked and you don't have any issues. 
you know, because that's a bad day. That's a very bad day. And this is always just something that's amazed me, but there are mishaps with rockets. Well, then, you know? yeah. And so you're building a one of a kind spacecraft to go up. How terrifying is that? <laughs> I got to tell you, in my professional life, I don't know if I've ever been that scared. It was because, I mean, everything, everything is rocking. It's like, so I had to walk somebody through this the other day, but you're there and you're, you see this about four miles away. You see the rocket clear as day. It's crystal blue ocean over to the right launch pad directly in front of you. And you're just sitting on the coast of California waiting for this thing to go off. And then within seconds, you see that, that fireball, you feel like after several seconds, you feel that concussion wave hit you. It's crazy. And you're just sitting there thinking, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, watching it goes like, please don't blow up. Please don't blow up. <laughs> oh, man. And so, you know, they get up into space. And after they get up into space, you're saying to yourself, please don't get hung up in the dispenser. Please don't get hung up in the dispenser. Please don't, you know, just get out of the dispenser. Just get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. And then they call your name and you're out. And you see the little video with a blur flying, your, your satellite popping out. And you're like, oh, thank God. Okay, it's out. Please turn on. Please turn on. Please turn on. You know, it's like phases of terror you know it's like you get over one and then a little while later you're having to worry about the next phase of terror then you got to worry about the next so it's like okay you know please turn on and you don't know if you can talk to it so then you're waiting to hear the beacon so it's got this old beacon playing on a radio so when it flies over different listening stations like we satnogs.org it's incredible they have an amateur network and we're listening and waiting for it to fly over. And then you hear that beacon for the first time. It's like, okay, it's turned on. You know? Amen. Actually, that was the moment where I, frankly, I kind of lost it. I mean, I was, I was bawling my eyes out. That was the moment where it was like, okay, it's turned on and it's communicating down to us. Then the next big challenge is whether or not we can send it commands. But to get to the point where you have a spacecraft that's barking at you from 512 kilometers in space, I'm good. You know, it's like, how cool. You know, we got there. And I was happy. I'm like, box checked. I'm good. You know, you something in space. I mean, that's yeah, amazing. In space. I got it. You know, and it's not debris, right. you know, <laughs> and that's the key thing for me right there. And now the team's been working for the past, you know, four weeks, past month, went up a month yesterday. They've been working on getting it commissioned and getting all the systems working properly. And we're able to send commands and pull information. And it's a process to get this little guy talking and working exactly the way that it should. It's like I told you earlier. There's always a problem. There's always an issue. There's always something to uh, figure out. And uh, I'm just very proud of the fact that we've got uh, the right guys to actually do it. Congratulations, man. What a, Thank you. What thank a victory. 
<laughs> it is. It, it was a it was a hell of a victory, and it still doesn't really sink in just yet. It's still kind of hard to believe, even though I see him on the on the screens and I I know he's there. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it looks like you know you're celebrating one of your children. You're just your face has turned rosy. You're just so excited. <laughs> it really was. It, it was pretty amazing. I was uh, fortunate to have my daughter out there with me. My mom was out there with me, so it was. It was a very special moment. It, it really was. And that was actually the first time I've ever watched a launch. It was something I've always wanted to do. Mm. I've always been a space nerd. I've always wanted to be in space, aerospace. And uh, this is the first time I'd ever attended a launch. So the first launch I've ever gotten to see, I had something going to space on that launch. So box checked, you know. <laughs> Next well, speaking yeah. of that, so next, you know, we've got, you've got a couple of things in the queue, but how do you, as you look across, you said there's so many opportunities. How do you drive innovation in space exploration and robotics, robotics? I mean, how do you do that? I think what it is, is you just focus on a problem, focus on a need, and then you just figure out everything that you could possibly do to solve that problem. And there are so many different ways of solving that problem. Uh, so you have to do the trades to understand what the most efficient, cost-effective, best way to do that. And a lot of the ideas come out from us literally sitting around eating pizza or, you know, eating Thai food or you know, just hanging out, having a meeting about one thing that somebody gets an idea and just brainstorming. And before you know it, we've got a completely new, innovative idea to go run down. And before you know it, we've written a proposal, sent it to the Space Force, and they're giving us money to go and do the research. I mean, driving innovation for me is doing everything I can to put a team into an environment where they can feel free to be creative, as creative as they possibly can be, and making sure they understand that it's okay to fail. It's okay, because I guarantee you, if they fail, we're gonna learn something. You know, it's the whole the old adage of, you know, Thomas Edison or whoever it was that did the light bulb. You know, I didn't fail a thousand times, I just figured out, you know, 999 ways of not to make a light bulb. Right. Okay. You know, it's kind of that thing. But for me, it's just hiring and bringing in the people that they don't know what it is to quit. They don't know what it is to stop. They don't know what it is to have a problem they just cannot solve. It's there's a certain mentality. And I, I've told people this over and over again. You have very high performers. You have ultra high performers and then you got rogues because these guys will work you. They won't work you under the table. They will work you under the building. I mean, you're not going to be in the basement. You're going to be in a hole that will work you under because they just don't know how to stop. They just don't. And it's that relentless pursuit and that freedom and that, creativity this there's just something very special about this team that i've never seen before i've never been a part of a team like this and it's a genuine treat to to be part of 
Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, it's magical. I mean, that when you get part of an organization like that, there's it's hard to explain, but it really is. It's almost something that you really just can't explain it. It's something you just have to experience. There are no politics. There's no egos. It's a very flat organization. Anyone can uh, walk into anyone's office or call them up anytime to talk about anything. There's a direction that's set. We align everyone to that direction. We set a goal and everyone's focused and driven to that goal. That's the easy part. Getting there's the tough part, but that's where all their brilliance comes in. Yeah, that's awesome. Fun place to go to work, I'm sure. I love it. I don't know there's anywhere else I'd ever want to be. I mean, I really don't. It's a real treat. Awesome. So transition a little bit. So you've worked, you're working, you know, contracts in the defense industry, you know, Space Force, and then there's you know, some of the other government agencies or civil. What is the biggest challenge of working within the defense industrial base? I would say security clearances. That is number one, a number one highest, toughest nut to crack are security clearances because it's a chicken and egg problem. The stuff that we work on, you could easily see where that that would be top secret. There's no way it would not be under some you know classification, the secret at a minimum. But getting the sponsor within the DOD to actually kick off your facility clearance, which gives you pathways to individual clearances, that has been our biggest challenge. I was on a call uh, just the other day explaining this to an 06. And I was like, sir, we would have contracts right now. We would be under contract right this second if we had clearances. But because we can't, this particular group, all they do is high side. That's it. Everything that they do is high side. So they signed off on customer memorandums for us, but the customer memorandums were like, they were put through somebody else because they can't even sign customer memorandums for Sivers. So we got that sign off because of them, but we don't have our clearances yet. And he doesn't have the ability to give us the clearance because he doesn't have the bandwidth in the security area to actually get us all that. So it's like they want to give us contracts. They want to give us, you know, high side contract, high side work. Can't get it. It's insane. But they've been working. The DOD has been putting forth initiatives to try and help small businesses get them. But uh, those are slow in coming. Fortunately, the biggest piece of advice I could give you, and we've made a lot of traction with this, is you know try to find yourself a partner that holds security clearances and then have them loop you in on one of their contracts. And that's something that we're actually working on now. We found a company that we got a lot of synergy with. We're going to be able to do a lot of really great things for the warfighter, and it makes really good sense for them to hold our clearances. So that's what we're doing right now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a challenge. Well, and to parlay off that, so I see that as one of the interesting things. You guys have IP, you have information, knowledge, mm -hmm. that you believe, and sounds like will be classified. Yeah. It's on unclassified systems because you can't get it classified. 
How do you look at cybersecurity and protecting that? And how do you go about this to make sure that, you know, while not required by a contract, because you don't have one, it's the right thing to do and it protects your company? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done is we've implemented all the NIST standards. We did that. We're actually in the process of moving to GCC high uh, in the Microsoft cloud. Uh, We have certain areas where we've kept all of our data secured. So while we're, we're also putting markings on everything, it's one of those things where even though we're not required, we're acting as though we are. And that way we can, we're kind of already a step ahead. You know, we've already stepped forward with it and we're a little bit better prepared for whenever that eventuality does happen. We know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time now. Yeah, uh, definitely a challenge. I applaud you for taking that because that is super important. It is. It is. Yeah, we had to implement a number of different policies, security officers, but we've got some guys that have transitioned out of the Space Force and Air Force and Marines, and they're in here uh, helping us get that stuff sorted out and make sure that we're we're taking care of things the way that they should be. Yeah. So in space, what do you think is going to be the biggest advancement that you're going to see and how are you going to be a part of this in the next three to five years? Oh, man, that's a really good question. We're working on a couple of things right now that if we're able to bring them to reality, and we don't see any reason why they can't, not ready to talk about it publicly yet, but probably within the next three, four months, we're going to make an announcement of uh, some pretty big initiatives that we're undertaking. I think that'll be that'll be it. I think this will help us advance the in-space economy tremendously. I'm also really excited to see what happens in the area of uh, in-space communications. So inter-satellite links and space-to-space communications. I think those are foundational things that need to be put in place. There's just so much opportunity out there. Anybody with any kind of idea has this, I'd say, blue sky it's kind of dark up there. They've got this wide open possibility of taking that idea and bringing something about that's genuinely world changing. I've often said one of my favorite things about space is there is no horizon. Just keep going. There's always something that needs to be done. There's always an innovation. There's always a problem to solve. And chances are that problem can help us right here on Earth. Solving that problem can more than likely help us right here. And I just love that aspect of what we do here. I got a great example of it. Uh, We work with University of Utah and uh, Dr. Jake Abbott at their robotics lab had published in Nature Magazine an article about his ability to control an object without touching it. And it's using what he calls omni-magnets. And he thought that it would have an application for space debris. So I blew this guy's phone up for like days getting a hold of him. And I finally got a hold of him. We were able to sit down and talk. And he chose Rogue to work with. He had several options, but he chose Rogue. And I am very, very happy to provide support through our research and development sivers and sitters over to University of Utah for them to do that, you know, for him to advance this tech, because the idea 
was that he would use this technology in order to move a robot inside of a human body for medical applications. So you just take a pill and then they would navigate that robot through the body, non-invasive surgery. I mean, how cool is that? And it works. I mean, this stuff works. And so it's got this direct medical application. And so in order for us to, you know, worked out a deal. It's like, look, we just want the space application. We don't care what you do on the medical side. That's just our contribution to mankind. Hopefully this does something. Hopefully one day this works for humans. Maybe it helps save lives, but that's our contribution. Just give us the IP for space. That's all we care about. So all the money that we put toward them, all the help, all the you know, research and everything that we do here at Rogue helps to advance a medical use. That's by far my favorite example. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably my my most favorite part of doing this is there's always a, a terrestrial application for something. And I love helping out. Dude, that's Jeremy, that is awesome. Yeah. I got to give you props. You guys are killing it. You've got a great company, your mission, why you're doing it, helping people out. It's admirable. So thank you. No, listen, thank you for having us and appreciate the recognition. Like I said, the the team is what it's all about. And these guys are, these guys are spectacular. That's great. Well, if people want to follow you, you know, how best to do that? Would it be your website? Absolutely. Check out our website, rogue.space. Uh, and of course, we're all over social media. You can check us out on Twitter or X as it is now, uh, LinkedIn and and so on. So we're we're not hard to find. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And let's keep in touch. I look forward to watching uh, the next launches. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Dave. You Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of DIB Innovators brought to you by Radical. For the latest episodes, search DIB Innovators on your podcast platform of choice or visit us at Radical.com, R-A-D-I-C-L.com.